God, would you strengthen us this morning to comprehend the love of Christ, which is just beyond our ability to comprehend? Would you strengthen us so that we can get it? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Here's an intro video to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus at 60 and 63 AD. Paul encourages the church in Ephesus, as well as other young churches, to continue maturing into the image of Christ. Paul establishes that as followers of Christ, it is crucial to understand who God, in His great mercy, declares us to be. Our sinful humanity has been put to death, and we've been raised to life in Christ, receiving a new humanity. As God's workmanship in the world, He has prepared tasks and relationships before us as opportunities to mature into the character of Christ. Positionally justified and righteous with Jesus, we can take joy in this daily living out of our faith. Having a grounded understanding of right theology and our relationship to God, we can follow His commandments out of reverence and live out our daily relationships with servant-hearted love. We're going to look this morning at a prayer to know the unknowable, to grasp what is just beyond our ability to grasp, to comprehend what is just outside the bounds of natural comprehension, the love of Christ. It's probably my favorite prayer in the Bible, and we find it in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. You can find, there, find your way there. We'll read it in just a second. I find myself praying it a lot as a pastor that you would get it, that I would get it, that we would somehow be supernaturally strengthened in our inner being to know the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. You've heard the phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? At some point, every preacher can articulate what the Bible says, can explain it, can illustrate it, can maybe connect the dots, but all of us find ourselves in exactly the same point after we do that. It's beyond our ability to actually make it click, to know it in your inner being. And sometimes I'm discouraged by that, but then I read the Apostle Paul who wrote letters in the New Testament, and it's beyond him as well. It's a work of God. And so after laying out some incredible theological concepts in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he breaks out in this prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power, to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now that's a lot to get our minds around, isn't it? In addition to all of the words that are in that prayer that we don't usually use in common vernacular, what makes it particularly challenging is verses 14 to 19 is all one sentence. A long run-on prayer that we actually kind of get because a lot of times we pray that, don't we? And this, 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 right? And Paul prays these glorious things that we would get what is only supernaturally attained. And so we read it, and we're like, wow, what did I just read again? So let me just read it one more time in a different translation, the New Living. We'll slow down just a little bit. And here's the cool thing about the New, uh, New International, sorry, the New International Version. It actually puts some sentence breaks in there for us so we can catch our breath. Ready? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This prayer is actually not all that complicated but it seems to be grasping for language that's bigger than what language can be. Trying but failing to find language big enough to describe the love of God. Trying to make known that which is just beyond our ability to know so that he prays that we would be strengthened to be able to bear it or to get it. Here's the big idea of the prayer. I pray that you would be strengthened to comprehend the incomparable love of God. Now, one of the things that you learn early on in ministry through a bunch of failures is this harsh truth. There's no magic bullets. There's no one thing that if you know, everything else works itself out. If we just did this, if we just prayed more, if we just got strategic thinking that connected this with this, if we just, if we just, you realize very quickly that that language, if we just, is false. There is no magic bullet. We're far more complicated than that as people and individuals are more complicated than simply one simple solution. And yet, this prayer, I think, is as close to a magic bullet as you can find in the scriptures. Paul prays, if you can even begin to grasp how much God loves you in Christ... And be strengthened to believe it in your inner being, your inner self. You're going to be okay. I have a feeling if you grasp the love of God for you in Christ, everything else is going to work itself out. It won't be simple. 
it won't be just a straight shot. It's forward, backward, forward, backward. But I think if you get in the depth of your soul the love of God for you through Christ, you're going to be okay. The Spirit will supernaturally sustain you. It will transform you from the inside out. And that process will take the rest of your life. But he will sustain it. As your pastor, I don't know how often I pray this for you. And I pray it for me. Oh, God, help me to grasp this. Oh, God, help them to get it, to know. And so let's dive deeply into this prayer, shall we? Paul begins his prayer with these words. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Which should cause us as critical readers to ask the question, What reason? Yeah, for this reason. Well, what reason? And to understand that, you actually need to know a little bit about the structure of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It actually neatly divides in half. Chapters 1 to 3 is the theology or the truth, the doctrine of the gospel. And chapters 4, 5, and 6 is the implications or applications of that gospel. And so chapters 1, 2, and 3 articulate these rich theological truths of who we are in Christ and all of the spiritual blessings that are ours now in him. Chapter 2 declares what God has done for us through the work of Jesus, that he he has reconciled us with himself and he has reconciled us with one another in Christ so that there's no longer Jews and Gentiles, but now one new household of faith, one new race, one new humanity in Christ. And that the good news is that God makes us right with himself and makes us right with each other. And what Paul marvels at is that the Gentiles are included too. And he reflects a little bit in chapter 3 that this mystery that's been hidden in plain sight all throughout the scriptures but now revealed explicitly in these days is that the Gentiles have access to the Savior. And he says, irony of ironies, the most Jewish boy you can imagine was the one chosen to bring it to them. And he marvels and he lays out for us this new identity that we have in Jesus. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, We read the first verse that we are to live worthy of this incredible calling that we have in Christ. What he does is he applies it. He teases out all of the implications for our own life personally and then all of the relationships that we have with God, with our spouse, with our children, with our employers, with the people of God, that the gospel changes everything in that. But in between the doctrine... And the application, we come to this prayer. This hinge point prayer where Paul says, oh God, help them to get it. Oh God, help them to understand. For this reason, in light of the spiritual blessings we have in Christ, in light of the reality that we've been reconciled to God and each other, in light of the fact that the Gentiles are now included in this great work of salvation, so that it's no longer Jews and Gentiles, but now a new race, family, household. Help us to get it. And he prays that we'd be strengthened to grasp two things and then one implication. That God would strengthen us with his power in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Don't worry, we'll unpack that. That we would be strengthened to comprehend the incomprehensible love of God. 
by being rooted and grounded in his love. And that upon knowing the love of Christ, third, we would be filled with all the fullness of God. This work that God has to do involves strengthening us to be able to bear it. About six years ago, we put an addition on our house. Let me tell you, this is not a simple process to do. We had to draw up plans, and then we had to get a structural engineer to sign off on those plans to make sure that the work that we did on our house, which included a different roof line, wouldn't cave in on itself. And we had to do two very significant things to strengthen our house. First, we had to get a 22-foot-long steel beam, which my wife lifted into place. It was awesome. She was incredible. It was amazing. No, actually, we had a crane uh, that actually did that, but she would have otherwise. Um, And we had to install it in the new roof line to, to hold things up. And then underneath it, we had to reinforce all of our walls. We had to put some pillars that went all the way down to the foundation in our basement so that it could actually bear that weight. Our house needed to be strengthened in order to bear the weight of the new roof and all the snow that would fall on it one day. In the same kind of way, I think, Paul is praying that we would be strengthened, built up, so that we could endure two things. That Christ may dwell in our hearts, and that we may comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ. We need God's supernatural power for both. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We learn, first of all, is that we have an inner being, an inner life, an inner man or an inner woman, a deeper place that makes us tick, where it's the seat of our emotions and our will, and what we learn is that God wants to get his hands on that. Not just content with exterior changes and and little margins around our lives. He wants all of us. He wants that inner heart, that inner person to be strengthened. Why? Because Jesus is going to live there. That Christ is going to dwell in our hearts. And in order for him to live there, we need to be strengthened to bear it with the power that his spirit provides. Now, I can say those words, but in some ways, I don't even know what that means. Do you? It means that Jesus, who is the very presence of God on this earth, now through the power of his spirit is going to dwell in our life so that we are now the dwelling place of God on this earth. Do you see how everything shifted from the Old Testament? It was the temple. That's where you would go if you met with God. And then God actually came into this world and dwelled among us and we killed him. And now Jesus sends the Spirit to dwell not in a temple made by human hands, but a temple made up of people. You and I, he dwells in us. The presence of God now lives in people here on this earth. And we actually need to be strengthened to be able to bear that, to endure that, and to, as we'll see later on, overflow that. When Jesus comes and takes up dwelling in our life, he does a little bit of remodeling. And if you've ever lived in a house that's being remodeled, it can be a little bit of a tricky thing. Oh, the end product is glorious. And the process to get there is a little gritty. 
has a lot to do with, hey, sweetie, can you move the drill bits and pass the potatoes? There's lots of piles of dust and debris and things where you're like, ooh, that was in our wall? I don't know if there's a better analogy of sanctification than living in a house that's currently being remodeled, but that's exactly the work that Jesus does when he begins to dwell in us. And it's beautiful, and it's gritty, and it's hard. And when we see the end product, we never regret the process. The second thing we need to be strengthened for, in addition to Christ dwelling in our hearts, is to grasp what is just beyond our ability to grasp. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, not by yourself, but strength with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Do you see how language just kind of fails here? I pray that you would know that which surpasses knowledge. What are we talking about here? Like, there's not a word for that, right? It's kind of like later on when he says, abundantly beyond anything you can ask or imagine or dream or imagine, right? It's, language limits us here. But he gives us a couple analogies. He says, being rooted and grounded in this love. That's a metaphor from agriculture and architecture. That we are rooted. In order for a plant to flourish and thrive and grow, it must be properly rooted in the soil. And when the roots go deep and it's rooted in the right soil, it can endure harsh circumstances and weather, drought, because it is rooted. I think of the tree in Psalm chapter 1 or Psalm 1 that is rooted by the streams of living water that endures all circumstances because it's rooted in the right place says we are rooted in his love, and then we are grounded in his love. This is a metaphor from, agri- or from architecture, that in order for a building to be secure, it must be grounded, its foundation must be secure and solid on the, on the bedrock. And so what is the rooting and the grounding in? It's in his love for us, in Christ, that we are going to be built up into something, but we need to be rooted and grounded in his love first. That's the main point. That's the point And other things flow from that. The only problem with this love is that it's so beyond our comprehension to fully grasp. That's why we need to be strengthened to endure it, to get it, to grasp it. How wide and long and high and deep, every direction that you can imagine is infinite. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, language utterly fails us here. Now, let's just take a step back for a second and talk about the knowing being prayed for. When it comes to knowing, I think there are two different ways that we can know something. There's an objective knowing and there's a subjective knowing. Or there's a knowing of the facts and information. And then there's an experiential kind of knowing that's based on that, but it's different. It is entirely possible for you to know right information about God, but be completely unmoved by it. Did you know that? You can know lots of facts and actually be able to articulate what the gospel is, but be completely unmoved yourself by it. It happens all of the time. This kind of knowledge without any kind of implementation or experience of that knowledge. Lots of us know a ton of information about healthy eating and exercise, don't we? 
And some of us have never really experienced it. We know it. We just don't do it. We don't experience it. And because of that, we don't experience the benefits of that. But we know it. Or we can know all kinds of information about the proper maintenance of our cars, our automobiles, but still never make an appointment for an oil change or replace the air filter. In the same way, it's entirely possible to objectively know lots of spiritual truth but be completely unmoved by it. The Bible's filled with examples like this. People witnessing miracles untold. I mean, the whole story of the Exodus, the entire generation minus like three or four people that walked through the Red Sea died in the wilderness because they didn't think God was powerful enough to give them the land. Even though they objectively knew that was untrue. He had parted a sea, my goodness. Or think of Judas. One of Jesus' inner 12. You couldn't see more of Jesus than he got a window into seeing. Or hear more of Jesus' teaching than he heard. He was there for almost all of it. And in the end, unmoved. Lacked faith. So what exactly is this knowing that Paul prays for? Jonathan Edwards, the great Uh, American theologian during the first great awakening in our country described it this way. It's entirely possible to know about honey and what makes it sweet. You can go into great detail about its properties and why it produces a sweet sensation on your tongue. You can know all about honey, but that knowledge of honey, while helpful, is an entirely different thing than having the taste of honey on your tongue and experiencing its sweetness. In Ephesians chapter 1, after throwing out all of these spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ, Paul prays there that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened, that we might know the hope to which we have been called and our glorious inheritance as saints. Now Paul prays that we would be strengthened to know the love of God like that. To experience its sweetness. To be strengthened to bear it and to believe it. And dare I say, live like it's true. See, many of you would mentally affirm the love of God for you in Jesus Christ, but you don't live in any way like he actually loves you or likes you. Many of you think that God did all of that stuff so that he could merely tolerate you. God loves you. God loves you. You. Not the person just to the right or left. You. You. God loves you. And my prayer along with Paul this morning is that you would know that like honey on your tongue. And you would experience the sweetness of living with God, safe and secure in his love. Now, as we grow in wisdom and growing in maturity in Christ, I think it's important to understand a little bit of how we're wired. There are some people where the experiential concept of God's love, not a big deal. Like you could soak and sit in the presence of God all day. You would love 
to do nothing more than to listen to worship music and sing your heart out in the shower, in the car, and just be with God. But read a book? Why would I do that? There are others who, like, your happy place is being alone with books and no one bothering you. And you, I got an amen from that. All right, here we go. You can see we got some people and they're vocal about that. So just wait till the subjective people pull out their tambourines. Am I right? Um, you love com complicated ideas and concepts and abstract realities and being able to connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament and see how God has revealed himself through human history and how it all finds its fulfillment in Jesus and it is beautiful and it's coherent and it's amazing. And both kinds of knowledge are important. In fact, to grow in our subjective experience of him, we need to know who he is. And it doesn't actually honor him if we attribute to him things that aren't true of him. On the other hand, objective knowledge about God without any subjective experience of it is insufficient. And so Paul, I think, comes to the end of himself, writing down all of these theological truths that are amazing, and he's like, oh, would you get it? I pray that you would know, I pray that, I pray that God would strengthen you to know that in the core of your being, the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of the unknowable, surpassing knowledge, love of God, I pray that you would get that. <sighs> Tim Keller says it this way, and Many of you guys have heard Tim Keller quotes plenty over the last 15 years. He died on Friday from pancreatic cancer. And so it's only appropriate for me to at least have one quote from him today. Some kinds of Christianity put the emphasis on the will and life actions. Other kinds, the emotions, worship and praise. The Bible never, ever emphasizes one over the other or pits them against each other. I want you to know objectively and subjectively the love of God for you in Christ. I think this is one of the reasons why we need the body of Christ, people who are different than us, so that we can all experience more of God together. That we can be strengthened by each other and the Spirit of God dwelling in one another that we might grasp a little bit more of the love of Christ in fact, the Spirit might intentionally use a brother or sister that is very different than you to strengthen your faith, to strengthen so that you are able to comprehend in a deeper way more of the love of God. Paul prays, I pray that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp the love of God, which is just beyond knowledge. I know the way I'm wired. And one of the greatest things that I can do is to hang out with people that are different than me and they show me something of God that I don't yet grasp. Sometimes it's simplicity and just enjoying being with them and I'm like, but, but what about this and this and this and this? Or the opposite is true. I probably beat this to death. But what I, what I want you to know is that you need each other to most fully experience the love of God. You need the different wirings and understandings and and that when you hang out with someone who knows God a little differently than you, it, it, it increases your awareness. It strengthens your ability to comprehend in a new way the love of God. So what happens then? At the end of verse 19, 
we get this little promise attached, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. What does that even mean? It means that we have been strengthened to comprehend the love of Christ so that the love of Christ so resonates in us that it begins to overflow from us. Christ's love then flows into the world. It means that we've begun to grasp the riches of his glory to us in the gospel. Paul says in Ephesians 1 in his first prayer that his church is the fullness of Christ that fills everything in every way. And here we are the fullness that we experience all the fullness of God. Here's what I think that means. Christ fills the church with his love. The church overflows her banks and fills the world with the love that comes from Christ. It's crazy, isn't it? And yet that's our calling here in this world. That that we would so know and experience and love or the, the love of God in Christ that we couldn't contain it. That it would overflow the, the rim, as it were, of this building and this people, and it would begin to have tangible impacts into the lives of others around. That's how the church fills all in all, I think, in Ephesians, is that it overflows this great love and truth from God to the world so desperate in need of God's love. This is what he prays, and then he breaks forth in praise. A doxology, as it were, after all that he said and all that he's prayed. Now to him who is able to do abundantly more than all we ask or think, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you think that the task of overflowing the love of God is overwhelming, Good, it is. But the good news is that it's not us doing it, it is God working in us. To him who is able, that's not us. Here we go, language is failing. To him who is able to do far more abundantly. Here we go, language is failing us again. More than we can even imagine, than all we can ask or think, according to his power at work within us. To him be glory. See, he does all of this work, not just for us, but to glorify himself. It's not about you. And it is about you. It's about you experiencing the love of God in a way where you need to be strengthened in order to endure and experience it. It's about you experiencing the love of God in such a powerful way that it spills over, that it actually impacts the world. But then that work through you isn't actually about you. It's about God and making known him to the world, the riches of his glorious grace. Guys, what a calling that is to do and to be. Christian, do you know who you are? Do you know the sweetness of who you are? Church, do you know who we are? The fullness of him in this world. Now chapters one to three is, all, is knowing all about what God has done in the gospel, that we would grasp God's grace in Jesus. And that's what's prayed for here. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, I would invite you to read this week, are all about working out the implications of that in every area and relationship in our life, that we would live worthy of this new calling. 
And in between these is this prayer that we would know that which is beyond our ability to know. That God would strengthen us and that it would change everything. So church, do you know this love? Individual, you, do, do you know this love? Like honey on your tongue. I'm asking, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good or do you just know things about him? Can I just say, some of the people who know a lot of things about God but have never tasted or experienced his sweetness do the most damage. Do you know in your inner man, the core of your being, that God loves you? Do you believe that? And do you actually live like it's true? See, many of us who believe grace, who, who would affirm and get the, the test right, live as if the work isn't finished, but that we got to perform in order for God to really love us. Do you know that that thinking betrays the very thing that gives you hope? It is finished. He has done it. Rest in that. He's done it for you. And it frees you to live like you should, like you ought overflowing his love and his presence. Guys, I've, I've done all that I, I can to preach, to illustrate, to connect the dots. And even in this moment, after talking all about the prayer that God has to do it, we, we find ourselves at the very beginning that, that God has to do it. The Spirit has to do something in our hearts so that we actually experience the love of Christ or we'll never change. So can I pray for that right now? God, do it. Help us, strengthen us, according to the riches of your glory, to know that which is just beyond knowledge. Strengthen us to know the love of Christ. Let him dwell in us richly that we might experience your fullness that overflows. God, do that in us, I pray. Do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.